Shalom, it's Ladies in the Lead, and I'm your host, Joan Garner. Hey, this week we have a special guest, one that I was just so excited to get to meet, Miss Casey Anderson. Casey and Brandon live, her husband live right outside of Eldora, Iowa, and I got to spend a nice, beautiful Sunday morning with her talking about the great philanthropy and the great way that she stock shows with the Iowa Governor's Charity Beef Show and also just about her journey and how she has created her path in a different way. It wasn't just always about the heifer she had on lead. It was about being involved in the Simital Association and going to junior nationals and participating in the events and the extras that really lifted her and impacted her. I hope that you can hear in this conversation how thoughtful and how Casey really just comes across with her understanding of how important it is to give back. And they raised a lot of money with the Governor's Charity Show, but she knows it doesn't just stop there. She understands that every exhibitor that comes through that ring, every celebrity, every fan that cheers on that person, it's an impact for them and ultimately the families at the Ronald McDonald House. I hope you guys enjoy hearing too about how her edge is continual learning. I think you'll have seen that that is something that she's done her whole life. I can't wait for you guys to listen in. Thanks as always for being a fan of Ladies in the Lead, but more importantly for lifting these ladies up and celebrating with me these amazing uh, stock show women. So this week I introduce to you Miss Casey Anderson. I hope I have a married name. You yeah. do? Everybody knows you by that? or Well, I think a lot of people that I know like in industry probably still, in their minds, it's Casey it's Allison. Allison. But like I was, yeah. when I sign anything or you know submit my name, it's Casey How long have you guys been married? Uh, two years in September. Okay, so it does take two years to get to your married name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you moved away from home, but I live where I grew up. Okay. And so... And you know this, if you go back home, you'll be like, if you need anything done, you still use your maiden name. Yeah. <laughs> I like about that sometimes. And I feel guilty because... What? Don't well, feel guilty about that. I just don't want to disrespect Brandon. Like, I would never want him to think that, you know, I wasn't proud of having the Anderson last name. But it's, it's just so much easier. Like, when you call someone, this like is the Casey Allison. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course they know it is. <laughs> I always laugh because when I... When I call, when I talk to people that were at work in that Cedar Rapids area, and they call the bank, they have to like go through the ID, and they have to go through like secret passcodes, and you know the four digit pin, great security. I call our local bank, <laughs> like, hey, it's Joan Croc. Yeah, like, you want me to move a million dollars out of your account? Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> sure. You do that too, right? Yeah. yeah, I know. And we're up here today in Eldora, Iowa, which is not. Too much. I mean, it's like, it's so beautiful up here. It's a little ways from where you grew up though, right? Yeah, we're about, oh, a half hour from my mom and dad. Yeah. So I grew up in State Center. Yeah. Went to school in State Center, but the farm was always in Story County, like mm-hmm. uh, Fernald. Nobody knows where Fernald is, but north of Nevada. <laughs> yeah. So that's always been the home farm, and that's where mom and dad live yeah. now, so I kind of call Nevada home. 
Call the baby home, yeah. and now we live half hour north. Yeah, I know you had. We were just talking about that. It, it's absolutely stunning here. You have beautiful trees out in the front yard. I thought I was kind of a tree geek, so I was like yep. geek, geeking on your trees. Brandon, that we're looking at Brandon working out there. Yeah, I was like being productive. We're goofing off. And Chip, your corgi cross is like oh yeah, reading everyone. Yeah, he's the farm mascot. We're not goofing off. We're recording this. Yeah, yeah. seriously. I know. I know. Well, uh, people wonder like. How did I get to meet you? And today's the first time I've ever met you. Yeah. I feel like I know you a little bit, though, because Janelle went, Clemish, mm-hmm. ref- said, you've got to talk to Casey. And I'm so excited about that. And how did you guys meet? Well, actually, to prepare for this, I listened to that episode. <laughs> um, and just to get a feel for things here earlier yeah. this morning, and I was thinking about um, where we did first cross paths. And actually, there's some similarities in, I guess, our upbringings. Showed cattle growing yeah. up in Simmental's, mm-hmm. but I actually got to know Tyler when I went to my last junior nationals, mm-hmm. and Tyler was helping the family that was stalled right next to us. So I actually knew Tyler before I met Janelle, and then just met Janelle um, through the similar circles. Like yeah. Brandon's family has known them forever. Yeah. 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 So just um, you know how it is, like in in yeah. these circles, like everyone's separated by. A couple degrees, yes. right? Like, you and I have probably crossed paths before. And right. Didn't know it. Yeah. Or there's lots of people that we recognize their face or what have you, but maybe we don't know them. So kind of one of those deals. But yeah, we've just a lot of similar friends over the years. Yeah. And that kind of thing. Sure. Okay. Well, and so she, I said to you um, yesterday, I said to Tyler, I was like, tell me something about Casey that I need to know. And he's like, well, I don't know how she can still stand to look at Simmental cattle at her age. And I was like, hello, you raise them. Like, yeah. You know, he was oh, joking. I know. So for those that don't know you, give us a little history about your family, like how you grew up, what you're showing, um, you know, the farm and just the livestock that you like grew up with. So like a lot of people, I feel like that are involved in the industry, grew up showing and forage. Yeah. And in our family, well, my dad got started showing when he was a teenager in the seventies with the flowered scimitals, him and his brother. That so they had scimitals and then We were the yellow and white. Yeah, yeah. I just love or orange and white. I yeah. was like they're my favorite scimitals still to this day. Yeah. The the ones that they always said you'd be it'd be easier to walk under them. Yeah. Because they're so tall. Yeah. But then when the scimitals started going black, yeah. they didn't like that direction. So they started crossbreeding them. So by the time us kids got to showing and I actually had um, several cousins that showed too. So showing cattle, I guess, in our family is a multi-generational kind of a yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. So that was really fun. I just knew from the start that like I was going to show and was, was jazzed up. So I guess I share all that just to kind of explain how, it, like in my early years, we had commercial club caps mm-hmm. is what we were showing. So it would have been myself, my sister, and my cousins. And we had a little family, you know, friends that we all kind of traveled around together and went to Jackpots and Beef Expo. Got a little bit older and that was really when the Simitals were starting to gain a lot of traction. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents were separated, so I've got my dad and then I've got my dad and my mom. Yeah. And uh, had cow experience on both sides. So about the same time this is happening, my dad is starting to dabble in breeding Simitals and then showing with my mom and my other dad. Yeah. Um, so that's how we got into the Simital thing, and I got connected with some people in the circuit, I guess you could say, that were going to Junior Nationals, mm-hmm. and that really piqued my interest. Because yeah. I'm like, wow, this is really cool. I love that it had more of a family kind of a feel, mm-hmm. and I like that there were competitions outside of the ring. Like, that was really intriguing yeah. to me, a place to excel, and 
I enjoyed that kind of thing. So I got started with that maybe a little bit later than some of my peers that had been doing it right out of the gate. So did you always show heifers or did you show heifers, bulls, and steers? Or what did you guys, because if you go back to the purebred circuit, and you're going to junior nationals, obviously right. you got heifers. Yeah. So are you showing um, like the whole string as a purebred string or are you just showing mainly heifers that you raised? Yeah, we showed mainly what we raised. So earlier on, when we were breeding mostly just club calves, yeah. I did have some steers. Yeah. But for whatever reason, I kind of gravitated towards the heifers. I think it's probably because I like the, the intrigue and strategy of trying to make a better animal. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do that with females, right? Because we're not retaining steers. So my sister showed more steers. Well, you got to split it up somehow. Yeah. Not yeah. everybody can show the same animal. Yeah, yeah, right. So, yeah. so then I started kind of doing the junior national thing and just focused on heifers. And later on, I just tried to only have one calf to work on because... I always wanted to show two when I was younger, and that was just too much to do. Yeah. A really good job. What year did you, what would you be saying, say your best years of showing? Like, what were the years? So, I graduated from high school in 2010. Mm-hmm. Well, my senior year of high school, I had a nice, yeah. uh, some tall cross heifer that we raised that I had some success at County Fair. But then, I think probably one of the highlights of my personal show career yeah. is a, a heifer that I raised that I ended up taking to Junior Nationals. It would have been my second to last year that I showed. Mm-hmm. Her name was Fat Amy. Fat Amy. Do you remember when that, yes. that movie came out? Yes. So I just thought that movie was hilarious. And this heifer just loved to eat. Like, and she was really fun to be around. She was really tame. So that was her name, Fat Amy. And I took her to Junior Nationals and um, was able to place in the bread and oven division. So nice. that was kind of like, that was the highlight of my show. I career. love that bread and oven division. I just think there's so much pride in it. Yeah. People just really, really, I think, are taking even more traction in being in that division now and like having that legacy cow thing and then Mm -hmm. getting one that's good enough to go back into that division it's really fun so yeah I like that you have do you do you like have prodigy of her still or do you have her or well it's kind of I mean I hate to think okay so like 2010 she'd be be 12 13 no it's still feasible yeah yeah yeah. she could be in the herd yeah so actually uh brought her got her AI she has her first calf prolapses of course so because she's fat and she ate too much (laughs) Uh, so she prolapses and we we get her you know put back together stitched up and you know just right out of the gate the chances of her ever conceiving again again yeah not very good um we tried didn't work and my dad he was along on this journey and he loved fat amy too and he's like well i'll just i'll just buy her from you and i'll give her a try And she never bred. So that's the sad story. And actually, her calf ended up in that year too. Which is embarrassing. Yeah, I don't don't remember. Sad stories of the the podcast. I think everybody has a fat Amy in their show. We were just talking about this. Like, some of the money that people spend on heifers or steers or whatever... We're like, God, how can people spend, you know, that much on steer, but then they spend that much on heifer? And my brother and I, we were just joking about this because at least with the steer, the pain's over in the first year. Mm-hmm. The show heifer, sometimes the next year you're like, okay, you got a bag the size of your fist. Yep. She doesn't breathe. The pain goes oh, on for yeah. three to four years. And you, and you just get over it. You yeah. knowingly do it to yourself. I mean, like sometimes when you make things or you keep certain ones around. Yeah. You know you shouldn't. Like, if you're being really practical, it's like, this probably isn't the wisest decision, but it could have a good outcome, so we're going to roll the <laughs> dice again. We've all and been there. We've all been there. there. Yeah. We've all been there. We all go, what? What are we thinking? Yeah. Like, if we were just a general producer, we would not keep her. Or yeah. Whatever, but, you know, 
Oh, well, I'm sorry about Fat Amy. Oh, yeah. But good memories yeah. for, for the first part. We, Fat oh, Amy and I, we had a good run. Yeah. Well, so after high school, off to college, where'd you, where'd you end up going? Well, I, I had big ideas that I was going to leave home and strike it out on my own. Yeah. And uh, when the, the rubber hit the road, I kind of chickened out and I just went to Iowa State. What? <laughs> no, I'm an Iowa State crack. Don't say it like that. No, I do. I love Iowa State. Yeah. And it was a great experience. Ames... Because I grew up so close to Ames, it felt it felt like home. Like I, I knew I knew how to get around town. Like I, I remember some of my friends. It was like they didn't know how to get around. I'm like, what do you mean you don't know how to get to such and such place? And I had to remind myself, like, oh well, I, I grew up here. Yeah, and it's for other folks, it's not quite like that. But anyway, I was an animal science major at, mm-hmm. at Iowa State, so I graduated in 2014, and I always knew that I wanted to major in animal science mm-hmm. and was going to pursue it. Uh, career in agriculture so any particular direction you were thinking of when you went to school you know well yeah it's kind of a funny story about that lots of funny stories I guess yes. so when I think back on things how, yeah. how life like karma just kind of like well yeah because like, like yeah bit. yeah it, it's humbling it is humbling so just good I go into it Iowa State and I'm thinking like reproduction like embryologist kind of kind of track so I ended up getting an internship on a ranch out in South Dakota Different climate, like operate a lot differently out yeah. there. So I remember, and actually looking back on it now, I cannot believe they let me do this. Like this was so gracious of them. I got to help breed all their their heifers, like their virgin heifers, yeah. and then they let me breed some of their cows. Like I wasn't doing all the breeding exclusively, but like I had been to AI class, yeah. totally wet behind my ears, and they were like, "Yeah, sure, you can help us." And looking back on it now, I'm, I'm I was quite brave of them. It was very gracious of them. <laughs> yes. But, Anyway, um, so we're out, this is like July, maybe early August, because their calving window so much later. Yeah. And we would get the cows in early every morning before it got hot. We kind of roughed it out there, like not super nice facilities. It's just a shoot and alleyway. And so yeah. I distinctly remember the sun was like beating down on me and I'm in this big scimitar cow and I'm uh, like five, seven, yeah. so tall enough, but yeah. like. I really had to work to get my arm in this cow. And in the summertime, it's like hard <laughs> sticking my hand in an oven, you know. Yeah. So I'm it's hot. There's flies everywhere. Yeah. It's in the middle of South Dakota. Yeah. I, I was just, I re- remember thinking, I'm like, this is not super enjoyable. Don't really love this. And then when cows are out on grass, we all know that they have the chips. <laughs> so she farted oh. or did whatever she did and she just covered me in manure like just the whole front side of me in like that runny grass manure yeah and right then and there i said i don't think i want to be an embryologist anymore <laughs> <laughs> so that was the beginning and the end of my career in embryology and i just thought well i'll figure it out from here you yeah. know and when i graduated and I guess this is something um, maybe for your listeners if they're young girls or, or anybody. You don't anybody. Have to be a girl. You don't have to be a girl. No. Nobody ever kind of prepares you for life after college. Like, I always remember people saying, oh, college, those are the best years of your life. Okay, well, when the real world hits, that can be kind of an adjustment. So here I am. Like, all, a lot of my friends and classmates have jobs. I don't have a job. I've graduated. I feel like a complete schmuck. Yeah. And... Part of the reason that, once again, this is like karma of the world yeah. humbling me. I 
I always kind of told myself that like I wanted to go get a degree so that I could have a job that I liked so that I didn't have to work in like a packing plant or something <laughs> like that. Which is nothing more as working in a packing no, plant. No, there's not. Like, like, that's what you want to do. Yes, but that's, you didn't want to work in a factory. Let's just say like that. Yeah. Thing, like, yeah. In, and uh, I, I have a completely different viewpoint on it now. Like I said, I was naive and the world completely humbled me because where did my first job end up being was for Tyson <laughs> at a packing plant. <laughs> And so I was a junior hog buyer. Yeah. Thought I would try my hand in the hog side of the industry. And every day I had to walk by rendering. And this plant, this particular plant that I was at was very old. So it's just all the things that you kind of think about a, a packing plant is like, that was my reality. I had to walk by. <laughs> so it was kind of like this reminder, like you thought you were so good. Like you had this college degree and then nope, you're going to start from the bottom. But I'm very grateful for that experience now. And I have the most respect for anybody that works yeah. any kind of a job like that, factory, yeah. um, long hours, labor intensive. But Didn't COVID prove that that is such an important... Totally. Yeah, to- important aspect of our industry, yeah. you know, from the person who is just opening that line every day to mm-hmm. receiving those cattle, the junior buyers, to, I mean, every aspect. We didn't realize... I mean, I think we do realize, but we really appreciate it, I think, even more. For sure. I know. So you ended up there, and then as did that stay long? So I worked there for about two years, and I was in northwest Iowa, mm-hmm. and I, so I didn't have a lot of contacts, no family up there, and northwest Iowa was just... Flat. Flat. <laughs> I moved to the hole after college. Yes. Yeah. It's so flat. Yeah. They're just... I mean, you had to drive an hour to get anywhere to do anything fun. Yeah. At least you could drive fast. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was flat. Yeah. So I was still, I guess, kind of working through, like, I thought when I graduated college that all the fun times in my life were over. Oh, no. You know, like, yeah, I yeah. That's, that's the it's end of the fun in my life. Yeah. And so a lot of my friends and family live more towards central Iowa, and there happened to be a job that opened up at the Cattlemen's Association. So I thought, this is great. Yeah. I can move back to closer to my people and I can get back in the cattle industry, which is what I really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of a, a no brainer for me. So you moved back. Or yep. Got that job. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, worked there for three years and I actually was doing uh, membership. So I ended up moving to Eastern Iowa, like Vinton area. Nice. So moved, moved over there and did membership, met just a ton of people in the industry, which was fun. And then now I've been at the I will be finishing council on the mm-hmm. checkoff side of things, which ironically is headquartered in the same building as the Cattlemen's. Yeah. So I just kind of switched sides of the ball, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, still working for producers, just that organization is funded differently and has a different mission. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. That's where I'm like at now. Yeah. And you're big in the governor's. Uh, show. Governor's Charity Steer Show. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, for anybody who's really, you know, in the stock show or the cattle show and, and from Iowa, that is like a pride and joy of the state. Yeah. I mean, I, my son was a part of that, his, you know, and we were part of it and we met the most amazing, uh, people through that mm-hmm. and lifelong connections, like really good people. Cause if you're there, you know, donating your steer and working towards the Ronald McDonald house, you can't right. be nothing but grateful. Right. And just, it's so, I mean, we were there now probably, let's see, well, my oldest son. So when he was 10, 18 years ago. Okay. So I think how much it's changed even since then, mm-hmm. like how bigger it is and how much more volunteer the kids do and how mm-hmm. much more. Yeah. So what's, what's your role in that? So I've been involved for six years now. Well, I started working for the Cattlemen would yeah. have been my first initial exposure to it. 
And I, at that time, there was someone else that was planning it, and so I kind of worked in the supporting role as mm-hmm. like a co-chair, if you will. And it's evolved a lot over the years as people have come and gone. Mm-hmm. So now I, I co-plan it uh, with Tanner Lawton, mm-hmm. and he, he works for the Cattlemen's Association. But it's an initiative that's uh, hosted by both organizations, mm-hmm. the Iowa Cattlemen's Association and the Iowa Beef Industry Council in partnership with the governor. Mm-hmm. So the fundraising has been incredible we just well our 40th anniversary was this year yeah. and it was an outstanding year uh, yeah. our goal was 400,000 for the 40th which was a huge threshold to hit to try and top yeah. that 400,000 and we flew right by that and landed at 440,000 and change so now we're and change yeah and 26 cents yeah <laughs> oh I'm sure it was like, yeah yeah that was that's awesome yeah so yeah. we've we've the lifetime giving of the event is over five million dollars which like what a success story right for the beef industry right it's been are you kind of of surprised that like other states haven't really emulated it and taken the idea a little bit i think ohio they reached out to us a couple years ago and they've started one i think there's a couple others around the country yeah i mean it is it's a really great event and I, I certainly think it could be replicated. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, I mean, I just think, and I like how the pork industry has the bacon buddies. Yep. And it's like, you know, it's one of those, it's so positive. It's such a giving back experience. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I love how it just emulates and it like spreads and other people are thinking about it and like yeah. trying to do something to be inclusive and be more giving and stuff like that. And it's just a really, I, I think you should be really proud of that. Oh, like, yeah. really proud of what they do and you know I mean it's just it's just fun I mean it's fun to go in there and cheer for those tears Mm -hmm. and those exhibitors and the showmen that come in yeah (laughs) I just love the the celebrities well you know that's the great thing like you don't have to know a lot about agriculture to want to help other people especially kids right so the main beneficiary or the only beneficiary of the proceeds from this event go to the three Ronald McDonald houses in Iowa so we've got the Siouxland house house in Des Moines and then there's a house in Iowa City like my family for example we've been super grateful or super lucky um we've never had to use a Ronald McDonald house but Mm -hmm. for folks that have young kids like Tanner's family for example my my co-chair um his family has utilized their services and it's just one of those things that and I didn't realize this until I got involved but when when these families are a lot of times traveling away from home because they've got a kid with an illness the last thing that you want to be thinking about is where your next meal comes from. Or, or where are you going to stay? Or yeah, like just a place to call home. Like t- to take rest. a load off. Yeah, yeah. even if it's just a or nap just, or How do you rest. get to the hospital and back? Or yeah. where do you park every day? Or is there a place to do my laundry? Or yeah. those little things. Yeah. And that's that's what these Ron McDonald houses um, provide. Just those yeah. all those things that you just talked about. So who who can argue with that cause right and so that's what makes this event so fun is that everybody can rally around it mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you're in agriculture or not it doesn't matter what sector of agriculture that you're in everyone can agree that we want to help kids and families that are having a tough go of it so it just makes the whole event easy and everybody we're all rowing our boats the same direction yes that's what i like to say i love it i love it well the podcast is called ladies in the lead she stock shows mm-hmm. and if you listen to janelle's episode you know this question's coming if I said to you, Casey, you stock show, what would that mean to you? Or how would you define that? I would say it's a competitive outlet to showcase your genetics and kind of network with other people. Mm-hmm. 
How do you identify yourself in the industry? Do you say you're a producer, an exhibitor, a marketer, a... What do you, a big fan? What do you call yourself? I would say a seed stock producer is probably how I would describe it. Yeah, but being in the past, have you? You would say you were an exhibitor. Yep, exhibitor, fitter, clipper. Yeah, judge. I've worn those hats. Yeah, I did some livestock judging when I was at Iowa State. I've dabbled in a lot of different things. I guess mentor. Yeah, maybe I don't know. I guess I don't know that I really see myself as a mentor necessarily. I know going back to Janelle's podcast, like they really love coaching people up uh-huh. and I don't know I guess given the youth uh-huh. of Brandon and I's farm here or operation whatever you want to call it maybe that would come more in time I yeah. think some people are just a little bit more drawn to that and I don't know that that's um, where your role is right now yeah right? I think it could, definitely could blossom into that and I've had plenty of people that have helped me along the way yeah um we just maybe aren't quite there yet i mean we're don't get me wrong we're happy to help anybody that asks oh us. well absolutely yeah yeah and needs any guidance um, because everybody needs those people to help help them out along the way yeah. so we're happy to be that um we're just maybe not quite to that place yet and i get that you know because yeah. in your i mean where you're at and it, where you're you're just moving here and like getting your herd and yeah. getting it going and working with your folks, you know, like, again, I understand that. Cause that's not all, you know, it's just interesting. I think when you talk to people, especially women in this industry, mm-hmm. how do you see yourself in the industry being an active part of the industry? You just talked about co-chairing that I've yeah. got on your show. And some people look at that, like that is a, you know, an amazing, you just raised 440,000 and 26 cents, right? Mm-hmm. You just raised that. Yeah. In one year with, with Tanner, I mean, you're not doing it alone, right. you know, think of that influence on every exhibitor that came to that show just this year mm-hmm. and their families and their celebrity and the people that they reached out to in their community, Yeah, that trickle effect, thousands of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I sit in the audience and I cheer for my favorite, you yeah. know, like I've participated, like mm-hmm. we try hard to maybe even think about setting that as a goal. I mean, that's just pretty cool. Like, talk about mentorship, talk about leadership. That's sure. just an awesome way to think about it. And it's just one aspect of how you see yourself yeah. in this talk show. Yeah. Yeah. I guess maybe it's always hard to, to have that other perspective, like right. to, to almost step outside out of your self role and, and see yourself in the eyes of the world. Yeah. So it's something that's really hard to do. And I guess I've just never placed like a real, I've never labeled myself, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I have to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm just, I'm just here to help how I can and like pursue our passions. And I think, so I'm 30. Brandon's a little bit older than me. As we get more established. Just a baby girl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I tell my age all the time. I'm 52. Yeah. I'm like, I tell my age all the time. I don't feel 30. I don't feel 52. Yeah. That's what my mom said. Yeah. She's like, I don't feel like my age. I feel like I'm still That's good. Born. Like you should feel yeah. 10, 15 years younger. I was like, yeah. I think age is just a state of mind. It is totally a state of mind. So I think Brandon and I are still finding our spot and what our niche is and we're growing into that together. And maybe in 10 years when we've, or whatever that time frame is, like if you came back, maybe our, our pathway would be more clearly defined and I could say more clearly, this is how I see myself in the industry. But I guess, you know, advocate, producer, I love how I love how it evolves. Yeah. It's so funny. I love that. Janelle said to me yesterday, I go, tell me something about Casey. And she's like, she'll be extremely modest. And she's like, she goes, she'll tell you, that, oh, what I do is not much. And she'll be like, 
She's one of the best fitters and clippers around. I'd put her up against anybody. Oh, I don't know about and that. Then, but... See, and she's like, you <laughs> say that. And so I was like, I think that's part of what's cool about this podcast is that when I talk to different age people or different stages of people, you can see that evolving and you can get other people's opinions about it. And mm-hmm. it's just fun to see. And so I hope you know that people look at you like that too. Like oh. they see you as... Well, I appreciate that stuff. In the podcast, I always talk about, was there a time or a moment, but a moment in your career, either an exhibitor or producer, that you really kicked it up a notch. You said, okay, I got a choice here and I'm going to kick it up and take it up. Or have you always been at a level where the genetics have been, you know, been there that's allowed you to have success or really had expectations given to you from the beginning that... You know, you just maybe take for granted, like, this is how we do things, and this is how... Do you do you have a moment like that? Um, I think I've always been fairly self-aware, like, always been one that's kind of tried to, like, read the room and understand yeah. where, where we are at in comparison to the world, you know? Yeah. And maybe not so much when I'm younger, I'm sure my parents would say I was pretty poor at that early on. And I was really fortunate because I had a family, like it was an established tradition that we showed cattle. So right. we, we started with more resources than some. Mm-hmm. And we, I guess at each level, we were able to find our own kind of success. Like mm-hmm. at the county level, we worked hard at it and tried to do a good job and found our success. But we weren't the best, you know. Right. And you know how it goes. As soon as you graduate, then then you kind of feel like you're finally to the point where like you maybe sort of had things figured out. Luckily, yeah, yeah, I had a younger sister, and so some of the things that we learned through my years, we were able to apply it and help Jamie find some success. So it was kind of a continual evolution. I definitely applied myself more when I started going to Simmental Junior Nationals and made that conscious decision to have one heifer mm-hmm. so that I could make sure. I gave all my attention and effort to that one animal so that we could max her out. Mm-hmm. And I was making a conscious effort to be competitive in, in the extra events. So what were you really specializing in at Junior Nationals? Besides, I mean, besides showing, like you talked about, were you in the cook-off? Were you in speech? Were you in photography? So and it, it's probably evolved a little bit now. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm still connected to the Junior National scene. Yeah. I'm just not as involved as I was. But there was, I want to say like six contests. So there was Cattleman's Quiz... There was a livestock judging component, mm-hmm. extemporaneous speaking. There was like a quiz bowl section. Mm-hmm. There was a test section. So just test your knowledge on anything cattle related or scimitol related was what that test was. And like I said, I was a little bit late to the party, but that was really competitive. Like my age group, I mean, you had the Grimans and mm-hmm. the Joss family, and a, a bunch of really prominent breeders. Their kids mm-hmm. were doing it. And so I guess my goal at that level was... Can I be competitive yeah. with them? Can I place in some of those events? And I, I found some success there. So I guess that was a time when I really made a conscious decision to try and be yeah. competitive. To see it. You it, saw it and you were the like... The best way that I could. Good. And that was good. Yeah. I like how that you talk about that aspect of junior nationals, like the the side things, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the different the contests, the judging, that kind of thing. And it's not just about just show which heifer it's just yeah. about for you it was not just about the heifer yeah. you know in the bread known or whatever division I think because it does allow people with different skills mm-hmm. to really stay active in their you know in their junior nationals and elevate their game in another way because yeah I have pretty strong feelings about that like sometimes I just hear like sidebar chatter people think that 
there shouldn't be a requirement. Because in the cinematology, like, you had to do so many contests in order to show your animal mm-hmm. as well. And I hear some chatter, people arguing that now that shouldn't be a requirement. I personally, I think it should be. Mm-hmm. And I understand that public speaking, for example, is something that, I mean, I, I, had, I have my own funny stories about things when I flubbed up there. But, <laughs> like, what a great opportunity to hone those skills. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it might make you a little bit uncomfortable, but you got to pony up at some point. And, <laughs> yeah. and kind of, like, face those, yeah. like, those demons. Because and, cause if it's not public speaking... For some people, it may be fitting a leg for another, or yeah. maybe you know talking to a judge in the ring, or maybe it's going to talk to a new producer in the field. You know, everybody has their thing, and if you can push through on that, then you know you can push through on another thing too. Yeah, those are life skills, and mm-hmm. I don't care if you're a plumber or an electrician or a school teacher. Like those are all skills that can be applied. Applied, mm-hmm. and if if you want to find success, then what better time to practice that? Mm-hmm. And then the other thing, too, is I was able to show some nice heifers, but we we weren't competitive at the top level, which was fine. I still had a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. But for people that don't have the resources, what a great outlet. Like, it doesn't cost anything to study beforehand. Mm -hmm. And, heck, I went to the first junior nationals I ever went to was in uh, Lima, Ohio. However you say that. Is it Lima? Lima? I don't know. Always Lima. Yeah. I'm not sure. We can say we're we're west of the Mississippi, so we can say it any way we want to. Yeah. (laughs) So... I'm sure people thought we were crazier than a pet coon, but we went out there without a heifer just to experience yeah. it and compete in the events. So there's no reason that you can't do that. And I know there's, you've got hotel and travel costs yeah. associated. So I, I want to acknowledge that and this yeah. deal takes a lot of money, but there's ways to do it. Yeah. If you don't have a lot of resources and you can still find success and people, I think people acknowledge that. They yeah. I think people are more willing to now to, um, pool those resources. Yeah. Like, you know, like maybe... Travel together. Yeah, travel together. Yeah. Pony up and get everybody on the same load. Yeah. I don't think I've seen anybody riding in the back of the stock trailer yet no, to get there, no. but they're getting there. Yeah. <laughs> they're getting there, which is good. Who would you say was your biggest mentor? Adult mentor. Out of college and on. Because you've had, like, these 10 years now you've been out in the real world. Yeah. There's been a lot of them, honestly, over the yeah. years. Um, I mean, I think it all started with my parents. That's yeah, obviously. Yeah, it's a good place to start. With a passion and... In the hard work, just learn to, to work hard came from. There's There's been a lot of influences. I mean, even just walking around the barn and watching people, you know, you kind of think of those people as mentors. Mm-hmm. Um, some good friends of ours, uh, Brandon and I, to this day, Carrie and Nate Horman, I guess I would kind of call them mentors. So Nate and I grew up together. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So I... Uh, they're good, yeah. They're, yeah. When good I stuff. when I met them, um, loud in Iowa, proud. There you yeah, go. yeah, yeah. So I went to Kansas City with them. That was like one of my first experiences. Well, at a major, and I yeah. went with them, and so you know, I was just helping them do the mundane tasks. Um, they had this one little heifer that that they let me fit on, and at that point, I felt I like was fairly confident in, in my skills. But looking back on it now, like I remember fitting this heifer. And it was like a May heifer, so she's really green and immature. And man, I just went to town building that that <laughs> back leg up, like like I was fitting a steer, you know. And yeah. I thought it looked so cool. And I looked back on it, and I was like, that was terrible. Like maybe you could have taken that down. Yeah, like, I didn't really read the room in that situation, but they were gracious enough. Like, and they never said a word about it. Oh, of course, you know. Yes. And it like it was fine. It's not. It didn't look like tacky or whatever, but it was just. It wasn't the right fit job for that animal. Yeah. So I, I look back on those and they, 
they were really just gracious and helping me learn the things along the way and kind of understand that the seed stock thing, it's a little bit different. Like you need to present the animals different and you need to think about always having your calves blown off and just presentation, mm-hmm. like those kinds of things. I was totally clueless to that. I'll, I was just thinking about how I'd show for each calf mm-hmm. kind of a thing. So yeah, I got to give them some, some props for helping me out. Some props there. Yeah. I love that. I love that there's people... Like, you think to yourself, oh, there's all these different people, but then always somebody always kind of mm-hmm. pumps it up. This season is called The Edge. The first season I had did, I called Home, because it was all about people from Cedar County. Okay. That's where I grew up. Yep. So this season's called The Edge, because everybody that I'm interviewing has an edge. Mm-hmm. Something that makes them excellent, elite. Something that lifts them up. What would you say your edge was? I don't know that I'm ready to classify what Brian and I are doing together or individually as elite. Mm-hmm. I think elite... I might get some haters for this. I think it's a little bit overused. Okay. Um, especially when we're talking about cattle. Like, yeah. This is an elite one. And I think elite is a fun word to use, but it should be reserved for true elites. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So, And that's part of the reason why I say, like, I don't see myself. I don't see what we do as elite. But I think one of the things, I hope one of the things that people think about us and see us as separators is we're continual learners. Yeah. And I hope that people see our cattle... Because we're focusing, um, I'm looking out the window at some of our cows. There's yeah. a couple of colored ones out there. When Brandon and I got together, we kind of had like a motley crew of yeah. different breeds, Charlotte's and Maine's and things. We really decided that the Simmental thing is, that's where we want our focus to be. And we don't quite have a name identified for this thing. So that's yeah. why people might not be super familiar with it. We're, we're still figuring out what our identity is. But the one thing that I think we can both really agree on is we want to make better Simmental's. Mm-hmm. So... Simtols for the future, I guess, mm-hmm. is maybe kind of what I've been thinking about here lately because it's it's easy to maintain the status quo. Mm-hmm. And the Simtol breed is it's very popular, but it also has some really prominent features that we need to correct. Mm-hmm. And so I hope, for example, we hate Simtols that are poor structured and yeah. have like huge tail heads. You know, yeah. so I just hope that people view our cattle as not just status quo, and that we're trying to make them actually better like really improve the breed it's so easy just to rebreed the same yeah and then it's it's hard to take fat amy and breed her different yeah and then lose her mm-hmm. and they think oh my gosh like that was a mistake or whatever but i like that i love that that you're a continual learner mm-hmm. i think we all are learning i i will say this year alone i have learned so much about the you know like how to run my computer for god's sakes you know like <laughs> And, and these Macs aren't the easiest. Okay, no, I, no, I'm just saying I've come a long way, but yeah. like, you know. But I love that, that you, that's your edge. I love that you see yourself as a learner because you've mentioned twice in this inter, in this podcast, you read the room, right? Mm-hmm. So like you're looking at the room, you're looking at like let's look at the, and assess. So you're learning as you're going. Mm-hmm. So when you can take that opportunity then and say, okay. Now I'm assessing and I'm learning about this room and I'm taking that and what can I learn from it and what can I give to it now that I know a little bit about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good lesson to give to somebody. Because if you don't have the knowledge or you don't have the skills that you want, there's a way to get there by learning that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Well, and at the end of the day too, there's always that fine line between breeding cattle that you like and breeding people or breeding cattle that will help other people. Mm-hmm. Because we have to sell these things, right? I mean... Yeah, that's one of the things that Brandon and I are trying to be really, really conscious of. And sometimes, uh, 
especially in Iowa where we have so many resources, Mm -hmm. it's really easy to let these things be a hobby, which is fine. You know, like people do do it for a hobby and that I'm not judging them, but like for us, we're kind of bootstrapping our way up. Mm -hmm. These things have to be profitable. And Mm -hmm. so we have to think about how can we sell them? So how, how can we solve a problem for Mm -hmm. a customer and provide value to them? Are you selling all private treaty or do you guys consign a few in a sale or what do you, how do you get rid of your, or how um, do you promote your yeah, project? Yeah, our, our Simitals are mostly private treaty. We've been trying to sell a little bit in the IWB Fexpo sale. Uh-huh. That's been a little bit of a tough road to hoe for different circumstances. Hopefully we'll have a bowl that will sell mm-hmm. um, here in February. So we're, we're working up to it. Yeah. I guess one of the things that we're learning is that we have to kind of take our licks along the way. Like, yeah. you, you got to pay your dues, Yeah, I guess. A little bit, um, yeah. Yeah, well, and it's not paying your dues. It's just honoring the fact that those producers that you're going against, they've worked the yeah. hard for the last 20, 25 years. They've worked their bootstraps, you know, and yeah. got their stuff going too. So there's part of it, it's like, it's networking, it's getting to know people, mm-hmm. it's all that kind of stuff. So yeah. it's all good. What would you give yourself if you had to look back and say, okay, I'm 15, I'm just, I'm a sophomore in high school, mm-hmm. I want to start, what would be a piece of advice you'd give yourself, just you talking to you, 30 to 15, like you've doubled your age? You know, this isn't maybe so much like cattle specific, because yeah. I, I look back on it and it's been a great journey, like I've learned a lot along the way. I think just try new things. Yeah. Don't be afraid to go to a conference or, you know, take a class at Iowa State that's totally outside your comfort zone. I look back... And I just think about how much I didn't know, like how, how many opportunities were available that I had no idea of. Now, post-college, it's like I'm figuring out there's so much more in the world. Yeah. So how, what kind of things can I do to expose myself to just... At 15, what yeah. I would like learn do more. more. Yeah. I love that piece of advice. I, I like to travel. Yep. And so when I was in college, we traveled abroad. We went to China oh, and okay. spent a summer in China, Hong Kong. South Korea. Mm-hmm. And that is my piece of advice for everybody is get away from home. Go yes. see how you went to South Dakota. That's like going to a foreign country yeah. sometimes. You know, I mean like you've you've been outside of your circle because it makes you so much more aware mm-hmm. of just the opportunities or the differences or the similarities. Yeah. That we're all human. Mm-hmm. And that's what I like that. So yeah, grab onto those and don't be afraid of those. Right. I'd probably also tell myself, like, just be grateful yeah, and don't be so strong-headed and, like, strong-willed at times. I think I made it a little challenging for my parents and, like, probably could have gleaned some experiences and different things had I not been so... I, like, I kind of thought I had it figured out, yeah, you totally know, which all. I guess that's kind of a hallmark of being a teenager. That's right. So you can't be too hard on yourself at that age, but... Yeah, I just look back on a few things. I'm like, well, I probably could have approached some of those situations a little bit better and like been more grateful for what I had and the people, my parents, the family that were helping yeah. me. But, um, you know, you only know as much as you know until you know That's more. true. That's true. You only know what you know and then you can go from there. Yeah. I know. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Okay. I can talk. We can keep going. Yeah. I know, but I'm just like, all right. So I, we, I'm going to wrap it up. Okay. Because we always wrap it up with some fast fire questions. Okay. Just keep you really real. Okay. Okay. So like, first, don't think about them a lot. No, don't think about them. Okay. These are not tough questions. Okay. By any means. Okay. okay. So one of the things I always ask is, what music do you play in the barn when you're in the barn? It depends on what kind of mood I'm in. <laughs> when I was younger, I would have said country for sure. Like, that's all I listen to. Brandon has 
broaden my needle. Oh, right? no, quite okay, a lot. Married and so, yeah, so it might be like I like red dirt country. Yes, I love red dirt country. Um, Who but, knew that Texas country had all of this? They have their own countdown for goodness yeah. sakes. I yes. love that the, it's a blend of country and rock. Like yeah. it's a little edgier. So yeah. definitely red dirt. Brandon and I will throw some some rap yeah. on sometimes if we're feeling real funky. <laughs> a little <laughs> thug. Yeah. Otherwise, I I cannot tell you how many ladies in the lead interviewers they listen to rap and thug. I yeah. like this. Okay. I maybe I might need to hey, rock my yeah. horizons just a little. I mean, some I of it. Know. Some of it's not. Uh, the most tasteful, <laughs> and I think you know, it doesn't have to be. Not it's your good. choice. Well, you yeah, you want. Yeah, I don't know. Not to go down a rabbit hole, but <laughs> but hey, you know what? Sometimes you just want to just want to get it. down with your bad self, and <laughs> rap in the barn a little bit. So there might be some yes. country, it might be some rap, just a little bit of it. Everything. That's good. Yeah. All right. And the next thing we always want to know: What do you wear when you go to the barn? Shoes? Do you wear shoes, boots, flip flops, Crocs, barefoot? I had a girl tell me she goes barefoot she shows sheep really i was like this seriously they don't step on your feet she goes not more than once oh figured it out i've actually kind of been on a croc kick lately we know i didn't have crocs growing like i hate to age myself but they didn't exist back in the day do you do the the uh homeless look with the uh torn t-shirt kind of thing yeah i've kind of been getting a little bit more (laughs) of that i used to always feel like i had to conform to like standard (laughs) country show cattle like western attire you know so jeans and boots and the older i get the less i care honestly i just want to be comfortable so that's the crocs um actually i have this one pair of pants and i'd recommend everybody to look into these they're a pair of columbia's they're like olive green but they're like a it's more of a lightweight material super comfy like i love those i wear them for everything so uh, i'm all about comfort like i do look homeless and i have short hair too your hair style's super cute though thank you i I appreciate that but i it is is super cute keep that hairstyle that's a good hairstyle (laughs) when when i get up though sometimes if my hair is just going a million different directions i'm sure i do look very homeless but hey the cows don't care the cows don't care they've never commented i know i heard you're big into crossfit uh yeah do you like it do you exercise with that every day three times a week uh we go usually four or five days a week yeah yeah. i like to work out too and Mm so i'm a little past crossfit we do a day of crossfit okay uh, like we mix it up a little bit but yeah i love that anybody can do crossfit any age it's that's brandon and i's outlet to just blow off some steam like it's it's great for health of course you know and uh we love it for a lot of different reasons we have a great community, like yeah. just the people that we work out with, which I think is super important. But it just it helps kind of keep our mental and physical health yeah. in check. And so sometimes um, it's taken me a little bit as I've gotten older to realize this, but I think it's good to step outside livestock or the yeah. ag industry. You interact with people that think differently than you, and it's okay to have other interests. It kind of helps, I think, keep you sharp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, producing cattle or whatever your hobby is. Yeah, so, think, sometimes we can overdo it if we it, just are yeah. all, all consumed in one thing. Yeah, I was um, my leg was disformed, and so I had a okay. transformative surgery six years ago, and was given basically my life back. And so Sweet. I t- it took me almost a year to recover, uh-huh. and then I I'm with you like to me that community and that outlet and being able to have the freedom to move. And to do all those things, it's just been, it's just, I wouldn't give that up for anything. I go at 5 a.m. and I know you CrossFitters, you are early morning mm-hmm. people. Are you an early morning doer? Five. Five, yeah. yeah. I know. So 4.20 is my alarm. Mm-hmm. 
one snooze for eight minutes. Then I get in the car. <laughs> People are like, how do you do it at 5 a.m.? I'm like, because it matters. Like, I just, I, I got to go do it. And the community's there. And if I'm not there, then they go, they're like calling me, where are you? And stuff like that. So you'll find a way to do anything that you really want to do. Right. Like, I got to give Brandon mega props. He does 90% of the chores around here. Yeah. And so he gets up at like 3.30. Mm-hmm. He goes and does chores and leaves for the gym at 4 so that we can be there. We actually a lot of times drive separate because yeah. we're going different, different places directions. afterwards. Yeah. With enough time to warm up, but like it just goes to show if you want something bad enough, yeah. you'll figure out how to make it work. And yeah, we're old people, like we're not old, you're 30. Well, we, we live like old people though. We, we're usually in bed by 8 30. Me too, but because you have, I have to have sleep. Yeah. I have to have sleep. All right, moving on. Celebrity crush. Do you have a celebrity crush? Oh gosh, I don't know. I guess the first person that came to mind, not because she's necessarily like a crush, but someone that I appreciate, maybe someone more that I want to be like. Yeah, okay. probably. Uh, Sandra Bullock. She's good. Yeah. She, I think she's hilarious. Like she kind of has quirky humor. I guess she's I have really, quirky humor. To me, she seems really real. Mm-hmm. Like, she yeah. don't get all caught up in that star. Yeah. I mean, she's beautiful and she, mm-hmm. she can do that whole glam thing all the time. But to me, she's always just really real. Yeah. Who's your celebrity crush? George Strait. Oh, well, he's not yeah. even a celebrity crush. He is a celebrity passion, love. Yeah. And as soon as Nora passes away and he comes to find me and proposes, I'm saying yes, moving to Texas. And I will claim to know you. (laughs) My dad says the same thing about Terry Clark. He says that's his girlfriend. Yeah, Terry Clark. I am in love with George Strait. Although, Cody Johnson. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. He's so cute. Mm -hmm. I saw, and you know, talking about that Texas red dirt, kind of, he came up, you know, he kind of comes up through that a little bit. And like, just, his music just really, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's real. All right. That's enough. That's it? I'll ask you for a Christmas list or anything like that. Because if I know you, they'll find it. Well, this will conclude this week's episode. Casey, I didn't think you would not. Hey, thanks for having me. Just being yourself and being honest and being a part of this this great industry we call Stock Show. But, boy, what you do is just really impressive. I can't wait to see the next 20 years. Yeah, I know. You'll be 70 uh, then. You'll be 50. Yeah. (laughs) We'll check back on our crossroads. Okay. All right. All right. All right. right. Well, we'll check this out next week as we continue down this great season called The Edge. Again, thanks, Casey. We'll see you all soon. Thanks for listening, you guys. That was an awesome episode of Ladies in the Lead, and I'm so grateful that you took the time to listen to it. I want to thank Austin Garner for being my audio producer. I'm your host, Joan Garner. want to encourage you to check out Facebook. I have a Facebook group called Ladies in the Lead, and you're going to want to like and follow along. Of course, you can always check out shestockshows.com to see uh, any updates or if you need to contact me, or you can use my Facebook, Joan Garner. We'd love to have feedback and we'd love to hear from you all. You guys have a great week. We'll see you out on the road.